Welcome back to another episode of Queer to Air. My name is Brian, and I use he/him pronouns. And today we are going to be talking about medically transitioning. So when we look at things that make people more at risk of mental health issues, one of the reasons is a lack of information that can that can improve their well-being. Without this information, sometimes we feel like we're at a bit of a loss, like there's no way that we can get the help that we need, or that there's a long process involved with no answers. So today's episode hopes to alleviate some of that by providing information on medically transitioning and specifically accessing hormones and psychologists and endocrinologists, etc. This is something that a lot of young people want information on, but quite often are lost in the maze of mixed messaging on what's possible and what's not, especially given the like if you're under 18, if you're over 18. Queer to Air encourages talk on mental health, so if you think that this content or talking about mental health might be triggering for you, then you may want to hit pause and save this for a time when you're in a better headspace. And if you're struggling right now or you're in crisis and uh, you want to reach out for help, there are a list of services out there that can help you. If you want to call Lifeline, the number is 13 11 14. You can also access them on lifeline.org.au for information on their services. The Kids Helpline is available. It's 1-800-55-1800. Suicide Callback Service is 1-300-65-94-67. And the website is suicidecallbackservice.org.au. Headspace's website is headspace.org.au. If you jump onto that, you'll be able to find the number for the one closest to you. And they also have eheadspace.org.au. If calling seems a little bit scary, you can jump on there and get some online counseling. QLife is a phone counseling service specifically for LGBTI people. You can access them on 1-800-184-527. They're available 3 p.m. to midnight in your state. And they also have online counseling similar to Headspace. And then there's us, Freedom Center. Uh, not a crisis line, but you can call us on 9228-0354 if you want to try and figure out where to go for help. You can email us on info at freedom.org.au and our website is freedom.org.au. If you want to find all our opening times, you can come in and get that information in person. All of the information plays after the outro music in the middle and you can find it in the description for the podcast. So I've been uh, gently mocked before this podcast start for the way that I start these podcasts the same way. And the suggestion that I got was, howdy y'all. So apologies for this, but howdy y'all. And uh, in front of me, I have three young people who uh, <laughs> are here to talk about their experiences. So I'm going to let the panel introduce themselves first. Hey y'all. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. Eleanor. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. Uh, I'm Kit. My pronouns are they, them. Um, and I'm Leon. My pronouns are he, him. This is shameful that we're starting the podcast <laughs> with howdy y'all. Um, so what I meant by a wide range of diversity is we have someone who accessed and started medically transitioning over the age of 18. We have someone who started medically transitioning under the age of 18. And we have someone who hasn't decided whether they want to start medically transitioning yet. So we're going to be hearing about all of them. So Leon, let's start with you. At what point did you realize that you wanted to go on hormones? Um, well, I think it was as I was like figuring out that I was trans and that was kind of what led me to come out. I was like, look, I need to, like, I need to go on hormones, I need to have surgery, um, blah, blah, blah. So when I came out, I kind of made that very clear. And so I was, I, I was able after, you know, a few months of a conflict with the parental unit, um, <laughs> I was able to start going to to the service, to a service, 
Um, and that was about the end of 2015, I think, or the start of 2016. How old were you? Um, either 15 or 16, like on the, on the edge, I don't remember. And how was that experience for you? So how how did it actually look for you? So you, you, co- you call up and you say, I want to come to the service? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think my mum did it. She, yep. I think she called and she got like an initial like appointment. And so we went to that and it was kind of just information. It was more about information about what the service does and doesn't do. And then like kind of a rough timeline of steps depending on like how things go. So Ellie... Um, yeah. You started to medically transi- transition over the age of 18. Um, did you have similar experiences? Similar and different. Okay. I think uh, the first difference is being over 18. I could totally have like sneakily done it without consulting with my parents or mm-hmm. anything. I did tell them, but like I definitely didn't need to. That was just something I felt would be good for me. Um, and in regards to sort of accessing services. I know that when you're under 18, there aren't many people who will see you. Mm. Whereas when you're over 18, you have much more freedom to just sort of pick and choose who you want to see. And you can find someone who works better for you. I just sort of rocked up to a GP and they're like, oh, I'll get you to see this endocrinologist and this psychiatrist. And when the psychiatrist says you can have hormones, then you can have hormones. They gave you a timeline, Leon, of two years. Was it two years? Um, It wasn't it ended up being around two years just because how the timeline worked. But because I went in when I was, like, um, 15, 16, um, they even took a long time just to put me on blockers. Does someone want to describe what blockers are uh, yeah. for people who don't know? Uh, they are hormone blockers to prevent... Uh, to try and prevent, like, your puberty mm-hmm. so that you don't have to go through a puberty of the gender you don't identify with if that makes a lot of sense. Well, if I can clarify, that's mm-hmm. for, for you, um, oh. for the sort of trans mask side of things. The, and those are sort of puberty blockers. On the trans feminine side, there are also testosterone blockers, mm. um, such as spironolactone or cyproterone, which you need to take even after you've begun fully hormonally transitioning just to suppress the effects of testosterone I did not know that. in addition to the... Um, so they're part of the hormone therapy. There are probably a wide range of people listening to this who don't maybe know as much as you uh, both. In terms of what the hormones actually looks like, does it... Because people talk about gels, people talk about shots. What is it? Well, it's a lot of things. Yep. Certainly, I don't know about um, the transmasculine side so much, but transfeminine hormones come in pretty much every possible way you can take a prescribed drug. I'm currently taking pills um, orally, but I know someone who has sublingual tablets, which they dissolve under their tongue. I know someone who has used uh, has a gel that they rub into their stomach, someone who has patches that are basically like nicotine patches mm. with estrogen. Um, you can also get injections. I know someone who has an implant in their stomach that just releases it slowly. Um, wow. Pretty much I did not know that one. Everything. I learned about that recently. <laughs> mm. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. So it's very varied. Yeah, I think that's similar. That's similar for us, but I think... Um, like we're kind of pushed to take the injections because mm-hmm. apparently like the reuptake is much better through like They're the most effective the most effective I've yeah. seen people take pills and like basically nothing happens yeah and then gels uh, like work a little bit I, I've heard mm. like, everybody says that the injections have worked the best for them yeah and they're like an intramuscular injection mm. so and the next question I had is do you have to take them for the rest of your life yes Sort of. Yeah? <laughs> um, well, you have to take oestrogen for the rest of your life, but uh, 
certain surgeries uh, mean that you don't have to take the testosterone blockers anymore. Um, I, I, sh I should clarify, rather than being vague, if you've got your testicles removed either via an orchiectomy alone or full like bottom surgery, mm -hmm. then you can stop taking those testosterone blockers, which is obviously quite a good thing because it limits the amount of drugs and the side effects thereof that you're getting into your body. Mm -hmm. Also saves you a little bit of cost on the pills. Yeah. Hey everyone, just wanted to take that quick time out from the podcast, hoping that nothing we've said so far has caused anyone any distress, but if it has, just remember that if you want to reach out for help or if you're in crisis, there are services that are available to you. Uh, Lifeline is 13 11 14. They're open 24-7 and you can access them on lifeline.org.au. Kids Helpline is 1-800-55-1800. QLife is 1-800-184-527 and their website is qlife.org.au and it has that online counselling option available. And for more services that are available to you, just keep in mind that this played at the beginning of the podcast and we'll also play at the end. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Kit, we've kind of left you out of this conversation. So you are yet to decide whether or not you want to go on hormones or not. So do you want to talk us through a little bit of like, these are the things, reasons why I'm thinking yes, these are the reasons why I'm thinking no? There's upsides and downsides, I think, a lot to uh, me taking testosterone. Like, sometimes my gender expression can be very fluid. Mm -hmm. um, I like being seen as androgynous, which I can kind of do without hormones and I can't really afford them at the moment mm -hmm. either uh, I don't know that I'm ready for my friends or family to kind of see me in a, a like any different way than they do now and with the effects of testosterone I don't know that I want all of them because some of them I really like like the masculinization of like face shape and like fat distribution like I like but there's also a risk of baldness, and my hair is very important to me. <laughs> like, all of my family is bald, <laughs> and I don't want that. Um, so I feel like I have a long time to decide, and I mm -hmm. don't want to rush into anything. And sometimes I feel very dysphoric, uh, and sometimes I don't. So I'm just going to take my time so that I don't regret it later valid. Thanks, Leon. Um, so I'm going to throw a question out there. Uh, anyone can answer. How much do you think people depend on medically transitioning to kind of validate the gender that you're telling them that you are? That was a circuitous question. Mm. How much do people depend? So how much do people depend on you medically transitioning to a, to kind of like validate your your gender identity? So like people in our lives, like friends and family. Yeah, let's okay. yeah. let's start with them. Well, I, th I think um, it can be a bit problematic because people have varied understandings, and often people who don't know much about trans people mm -hmm. can be quite misguided in their <laughs> approaches. So obviously. Um, if someone wants to medically transition, then they should absolutely be able to. If someone does not, that's also okay. But uh, there are a number of people out there who would sort of suggest that you're less trans if you aren't transitioning or if you aren't taking all of the things you could be doing to transition. So, for example, even within the trans community, there'll be people who say things like, oh, if you don't get surgery, you know, you're not really a full mm. um, member of this community. It, yeah, it's gatekeeping. Mm, um, I think... 
Sorry. Oh, no. um, I was just saying, I don't think, like, in my experience, like, I didn't really think about that as much because I wanted it anyway. But I know that, like, if I didn't, um, like, even my friends, um, my friends that, you know, like, talk to my parents, my parents might come up to me afterwards and they're like, oh, like, why don't they want to transition? Like, what's happening, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm just like... Well, maybe they can't like afford it, or they're just not ready yet. Some people can't transition because it's too expensive, and some people have medical reasons that they can't mm-hmm. get certain procedures. But some people just like do not want to, mm-hmm. and I think it's all good to be like, oh yes, people who can't transition for a reason are valid, but people who don't want to, even though they potentially could, should be respected equally. Okay. People that don't know like a lot about the community, they'll they seem to think it's like an overnight thing, like a sex change, as if it like oh, happens yeah, like, like overnight. There's a bit of a reflection there, because I know that what some older people do, they can do this, is take some long service leave from work and just kind of disappear for a little while, get as much transition done in like a six-month or a year period, and then when they come back, they're changed. Mm. And that's something that people can do, but often for a young person who has to stay in school or uni, Mm -hmm. it's a bit less um, of an option. You can't hide away and then pop out being like, ta-da, you've got a transition in front of everyone. And like that process takes years. Okay, thank you everyone for coming in. That was really insightful and I genuinely think that uh, there are a lot of young people out there who really want to be able to have these conversations but aren't in a position where they can, so listening to us do it is probably the next best thing. If you want to catch up with everything that we're doing, uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you're talking about us online, hashtag queer to air. It's T-O in the middle, not a two. Um, And we will be back to talk about a whole bunch of other topics related to the LGBTI community. Say goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye, If this podcast has caused any distress or triggered you in any way, here are a list of services that are available to you. You can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 and they are open 24-7. You can also access lifeline.org.au for more information on their services. You can call Kids Helpline on 1-800-55-1800. You can call Suicide Callback Service on 1300 65 94 67 so available 24 7 or you can visit suicidecallbackservice.org.au headspace numbers are going to change for each location so you can jump onto headspace.org.au to find your nearest branch or you can jump onto eheadspace.org.au to check out their online counseling option q life is 1-800-184-527 they're available 3 p.m to midnight in your state around australia You can also visit them on qlife.org.au and you can have an online chat similar to Headspace. Freedom Centre's info is 92280354. Email us at info at freedom.org.au or you can visit freedom.org.au for other services that we provide. If you are listening to this and you are in crisis, I urge you to reach out for help and get the support that you need and definitely deserve.